Well, welcome to another podcast with us here at Jackson and Peck Financial Group. I'm Christian Jackson, and my guest is Jake Miller. Jake is the owner of Miller Farm and Business in Geneseo, Illinois, and Unionville, Missouri. Miller Farm and Business offers tax, accounting, and payroll services for individuals, corporations, estates, and trusts. Jake's focus is on income tax preparation and planning for individuals and businesses. Jake has worked for Miller Farm and Business since interning after high school, beginning in 2013, and owned the business since purchasing it from the founder, Laura Lee Miller, in 2019, who's your grandmother, right? Correct. Uh, the office in Unionville was open in February of 2022, and Jake has been a IRS AFSP and authorized IRS e-file provider since 2019, and recently passed the IRS special enrollment examination. Um, so if you want to, Jake, maybe first talk about some of those designations that you, you have there and what those mean. Sure. Uh, so the, the easy one is the uh, authorized e-file provider, which I've been since 2019, basically. That means I applied to the IRS. They did a little background check on me and said that I was authorized to provide e-file services to clients. I started that when I took over the business uh, in 2019. The AFSP is a kind of a first level designation with the IRS, uh, affords me representation rights for clients that I prepare tax returns for. Um, and I, I take a test every year along with a certain number of continuing education hours to maintain that designation. And just recently I passed the uh, third part of the special enrollment examination. It's a three-part exam that the IRS proctors uh, that <clears throat> that's kind of the top end of IRS authorization uh, grants me unlimited representation rights for clients through audits, appeals, uh, basically anything before the IRS, uh, which I, I, I say I just completed that recently. Um, just kind of adds to the designations that I had previously. Okay, cool. And uh, something new I, I knew that I learned is the uh, office in Unionville, Missouri. How did mm -hmm. that, uh, how'd that come about? Yeah, so uh, my, my grandma and her family, so my grandma, who I purchased the business from, is from Unionville, Missouri. And they've had a farm down there. Uh, actually, they just got it designated a century farm uh, here this last year. So it's been there for a long time. Uh, my, my brother and sister-in-law moved up to that farm uh, here just in, in uh, 2022, or very early 2022, um, and my sister-in-law had been doing taxes and accounting uh, at a firm where, where they live down by Jeff City, Missouri, and decided when they moved up there that she wanted to do it on her own, kind of doing like what we're doing here in Geneseo, um, so we got together and decided that we'd go ahead and do that. So we found a little office building down there and got her set up and actually had her in business for the 2022 filing season. So it was a pretty quick get up and go, but, but we made it. So this will, this will be her second uh, tax season this year. Um, so ho hopefully, you know, she'll grow and expand a little bit. We've done a lot of remodeling down there. I'm kind of looking forward to getting some clients in there. The building actually turned out really nice. So I'm looking forward to getting some people in there and just kind of being able to grow, uh, grow the business and the, you know, the people that we can help each year with their, with their tax filing obligations. Nice. Okay. 
So as we'll get to here a little bit in this, you'll have a few more miles miles to deduct for yourself. Right. That, yes. That, that office there, so. <laughs> yep. Um, well, yeah. Well, thanks again for joining us. And um, for those of you listening in, you've probably already guessed what our topic for discussion is going to be here with Jake. Um, with the tax season just around the corner, I figure this would be a timely topic as most of you will be or or should be preparing for your 2022 tax filing here in the next couple of months. Um, I'm glad I was able to to grab Jake while I can as he's going to start getting super busy here in the, the next couple of weeks himself, obviously. And also, you know, a good number of, of our listeners and, and clients are self-employed, small business owners, farmers, uh, sole proprietors, or, you know, maybe just someone that it isn't as simple as just getting a W-2 in the mail from your employer and calling it a day when it comes to filing. You know, you may you may be 1099 or, you know, you're, you're going to itemize. And because of that, you know, there's much more record keeping and info that goes into that tax filing process. So first, Jake, you know, on that topic, um, can you explain short form or their standard deduction versus itemizing your taxes? Sure. Uh, so the the standard deduction, that's kind of your basic route. And uh, nowadays, we don't have a lot of people that are uh, itemizing anymore. Uh, post the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, about 90% of taxpayers actually do the standard, use the standard deduction. Uh, the standard deduction is uh, kind of like a just a basic minimum amount of tax-free income for a uh, married com- couple filing jointly for 2022. It's going to be $25,900. So when, when calculating your taxable income, we take that 25.9 off of your uh, gross income to get to taxable income. It's, it's very very simple process to get to that point. Uh, if you're going to itemize deductions, you're going to have to file a Schedule A. So the Schedule A is where we put things. Um, these are individual, non-business tax-deductible items. So think like charitable contributions, uh, medical deductions, uh, interest paid, the mortgage interest on your house. Uh, and then the, the big one that everybody hears about that is limited now, the SALT deduction of state and local taxes. So state and local taxes, that's your state income taxes, the taxes that you pay to Illinois or Iowa, whichever state you live in, uh, your property taxes, possibly sales taxes, depending on uh, your election there. Um, all of those taxes get limited to, to $10,000 on the Schedule A. That's, you know, I say kind of what everybody hears about a lot. Um, but those are the, the basic differences there between the, the standard deduction and the itemized deductions. Okay, great. And... How do you determine which is best for your clients when it comes to doing the standard deduction versus itemizing? Because obviously you can't physically look and compare every single one with your own eyes. Right. So luckily for us, we have software that helps a lot for that. Um, As long as our client brings in everything, you know, that they've got for the year, they they put all that stuff together, which generally for... Uh, the more basic stuff is pretty easy, right? So you get you get a 1098 from your bank for your mortgage interest in the mail. You just throw that in with your tax documents. Um, property taxes are easy because, you know, we typically just look those up. That's all public record. We can pull that off the county website. Uh, but uh, for, for other things that the client has to account for themselves, they've got to bring that in. So uh, medical expenses, charitable deductions, they've got to bring that in to us. So we take all that, we compile it in the software, and the software is going to make a decision for us if they need to be on a Schedule A or if the standard deduction uh, is going to be better for them. 
And you know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, pre-tax cuts and, jo and jobs act, uh, about 30% of taxpayers were itemizing deductions. So we did that a lot. After the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, it went down to about 12, and I think this last year it was actually only about 9% of taxpayers. So, you know, one in 10 uh, that are itemizing deductions anymore. So a lot of times when I get that question, I'll kind of go through just a quick example um, with somebody, you know, let's say you've got fairly high mortgage interest um, and, you, and you give, you know, a decent amount to charity in a year. So let's say between those two items, you've got $15,900. And then you pay another 15,000 between your income taxes and your uh, property taxes. So that sounds great. That's $30,900. Sounds like we should be on a schedule A and itemize, but that those state and local taxes get limited to $10,000. So now we're back to the 25,9, even though you spent enough kind of to itemize uh, you're, you're going to be limited at 25.9, so we're back on the standard deduction. There's there's no tax benefit there to itemizing uh, when we end up back at that 25.9. And a lot of times when I tell people, since the standard deduction is so high now, um, you know, it, it takes, it, you know, ba basically it's, it's going to take about 16,000 of like other stuff, so non-salt type stuff, before we're, we're even going to consider itemizing. Uh, one, one thing that I, I think is kind of a common misconception with itemizing is that if I itemize, I, I've moved into this bracket of tax savings. Like all of a sudden, just because I'm itemizing, I, I've discovered a, a tax savings point here. And that's not really accurate. Uh, you know, like I just said in that last example, sure, we could itemize those deductions and put $25,900 on Schedule A, mm -hmm. but now we're still just deducting the exact same number off of your total income as we would if we went standard deduction. And now we put a Schedule A on your on your return, which all else being equal, having a Schedule A versus not having a Schedule A, the IRS is gonna audit the Schedule A return first. So, you know, we've done that for no tax, no tax benefit really. So just because you can itemize, you know, let's say even you're, you're at $26,000, we're $100 over the standard deduction, well, now you got to pay me to do the Schedule A, and right. you got to worry about the IRS taking a look at it. So it, it's, like I say, for nine out of ten taxpayers, that standard deduction is going to be the way to go. Gotcha. Yeah, makes sense. And, um, you know, do you have a quick list of maybe the most common items to deduct if someone were to itemize for, you know, let's say they are self-employed and it doesn't make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll kind of answer that in two parts. So. Uh, it just just a quick list of itemizing deductions, so Schedule A deductions, you know, kind of like I said, you know, your medical stuff, charitable contributions, mortgage interest, and property taxes. That That's your quick list there. If you can get all that stuff up over that number, we're going to itemize on Schedule A. Now, if you're self-employed and we're looking at those deductions, that's, that's kind of a different route. So uh, for self-employed people, there's, you know, there's not like a standard deduction we throw on Schedule C, right? So um, we're going to itemize uh, stuff like your vehicle expenses. So we're going to look at mileage uh, or maybe actual expenses of the vehicle. Uh, do we have equipment or buildings that we can depreciate? Your, you know, everybody's got insurance, probably some interest you're paying, some legal fees, maybe some rent, uh, supplies for your business, all of that kind of stuff. We want to get gathered up and we want to put that on Schedule C. And then with that Schedule C 
more than likely you're going to have to attach uh, a form 4562 that's going to list your depreciable assets on there and how much we get to claim for those in a year and then if you're working out of your home if you're self-employed we can still do a, a home office deduction on form 8829 the tax cuts and jobs act in 2017 did axe that deduction if you're on a w-2 so if you work worked at home during COVID or you've got a permanent from home job now and you're not getting reimbursed from your employer, you're going to be kind of kind of out on that <clears throat> on that particular deduction uh, since it was eliminated in, in 2017. Gotcha. Okay. And what deductions um, are most commonly left off, forgotten, or just, you know, just get overlooked the most? Yeah. So I, I think the biggest thing that gets overlooked the most, at least uh, for a lot of the clients that I see, is not really even actually a deduction or, or an item that is reported with your 1040. I think it's gonna be the W-4. And the W-4 is the form that any employee has, has seen whenever they either get a new job uh, or, or maybe just wanna update their withholding the W-4, you turn that into your employer and that's gonna tell the payroll software how much uh, income taxes need to be withheld from your paycheck. and. Again, I keep jumping back to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, but it, it changed a lot, and it also changed the W-4s, and the W-4s have actually changed since the Tax Cuts and Job Act, Jobs Act again. Um, the withholding tables have been a little bit different, and a lot of people over the last handful of years have probably seen a fluctuation in their refunds, and that's due to this W-4. It's something that really should be reviewed annually. Uh, the IRS wants you to review it annually, as a tax preparer, I want you to review it annually so that, you know, when you come into my office, then in March, we don't have any surprises as far as, oh, shoot, we have a tax bill where we thought we would be getting a refund, you know, because we didn't check that W-4. I, I think that's probably the one that gets overlooked the most. It's not something that, you know, you're going to see on end of year type planning newsletters. Uh, you know, a lot of times end of year, we're looking at what can we pay for that we can deduct before the end of the year. And we kind of forget about those W-4s, but that is something that needs to be looked at. Uh, and if, if you have changes in your personal situation, so, you know, let's say you have another dependent or you have a dependent that is aging out of the child tax credit, if you get married, get divorced, any of those items are going to change how your withholding should work. And it's really best in those situations, talk to your tax preparer and, and make sure that you've got that W-4 how you want it so that on April 15th, you don't have you know, a surprise bill or maybe where you thought you would be getting a $4,000 refund, now we're getting a $1,000 refund. Sure. Kind of more of a proactive one there. Yep. Uh, wait yep, the for end. sure. And then what things can be deducted, you know, if any, without receipts and you know, conversely, which deductions, you know, which ones do you have to have documentation or receipts or, you know, you got to have them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, I, I run into this a lot too. Everybody kind of wants to know, well, what, which, what paperwork do I need to keep? And, and the answer really is everything. So, uh, you know, we, we don't want to put something on your tax return that we can't prove in the event that we have to. Audit rates, everybody is pretty aware, is pretty aware excuse me, uh, audit rates are, are pretty low right now, especially if you're under that $400,000 of income threshold, audit rates are, are very low, uh, but that's not an excuse to deduct something without a receipt. 
Now, from my end of things as a tax preparer, not my job to audit your return. Um, you know, I, I don't need to see every single receipt that you have, but if you tell me that you paid for something that we're going to deduct on your return, you better have that receipt at home just in case we need it. Good. Okay. And then when it comes to those that itemize, it seems that mileage is a big one that, you know, often, you know, comes up, especially if someone drives a lot. Mm -hmm. Can you explain the difference between writing off gas expense versus the mileage and, you know, and which is typically better in certain scenarios? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a good question too. And another one that misconceptions come up a lot. So uh, the, the first thing probably to address here mileage wise is, are we, you know, are we talking about Schedule A type mileage? So medical miles, charitable miles, or are we talking about Schedule C type mileage, business mileage? Uh, Schedule A mileage, uh, the, the medical and, and charitable mileage rates are pretty slim. Charitable is 14 cents a mile for 2022. Medical uh, is 18 cents a mile. And again, you know, there we're kind of back to the standard deduction versus itemizing. But if we're talking about somebody with a Schedule C or maybe on a Schedule F, potentially, uh, you know, maybe even they're uh, in the in the business of real estate, something like that. Um, real estate agents typically drive a lot. Uh, so for these folks, we want to compare the actual expenses of operating that vehicle versus the standard mileage rate. Um, when it comes to mileage, they're basically this this mileage rate is a standard rate that replaces your actual deductions for uh, gas, repairs, depreciation, uh, all of those types of things are, are going to be incorporated into that standard mileage rate. So if, if, we, if we compare those, if, if you're driving a lot and you've got um, you know, a fuel efficient vehicle, it's low maintenance, then mileage is, is probably going to be a good deal for you and it, it does save accounting on all of all of those actual expense items. You still have to account for the mileage, but with the the amount of mileage apps that are available to download on your smartphone anymore, it's very easy to account for mileage. And for, for 2022, the first half of the year was at, we were at 58 and a half cents uh, a mile for business miles. And for the last half of the year, we we're at 62 and a half, and it's gonna be up again in 2023. So that, that standard mileage rate is pretty generous. Uh, and, and so for a lot of my clients that are driving around a lot, you know, I say like, you know, think, think of like a real estate agent, they're just driving back and forth between houses all the time. That standard mileage rate is, is a bit of a gift from the IRS. It's, it's very generous. Um, the, the only other thing to kind of keep in mind there, um, you know, we'll look at the, that first year, a lot of times folks want to, want to use the, nice big bonus depreciation number on that car. And the only, the only problem with doing that is if we, if we do that, if we place a vehicle in service using actual expenses, we're locked into that now. We can't flip flop back to mileage just because that gives us a better deduction the next year. Okay, good, good info there. Um, all right, so if someone says, I mean, you, I'm sure you hear this all the time, <laughs> you know, I'm just tired of paying in so much in federal taxes each year when I file. You know what's what's the best one of the best things they can do to lower that in your opinion? 
Yeah, so just about like everything else when it comes to taxes, the answer to that is it depends. <laughs> um, <clears throat> this, this could vary from anything like, you know, maybe we've got a, a Schedule C filer, somebody who's running a business that could benefit from being taxed as an S corporation. You know, a lot of times I'll, I'll have somebody that, that we switch to an S corporation and, and they see their tax bill drop um, pretty immediately. It could be uh, other things. I mean, it could be something like somebody is on a W-2 and their income's getting getting up there, getting pretty high, but they're not maxing out their 401k. Uh, or maybe they're not contributing to an HSA or something like that, that you know, that we can deduct, deduct off of those wages. Uh, or maybe, you know, maybe it's a, re a retiree who has a, a relatively high RMD from an IRA. They're over over 70 and a half years old. Maybe we can do a, a qualified charitable distribution for that person. It's just, it's just going to be all sorts of different things like that. It's really going to depend on your situation. Every tax situation is, is going to be very unique. And really the best advice that I can give on this question is go talk to your tax preparer about your specific situation. And if, if you're one of the DIYers, you know, you're trying to do it yourself. Uh, I, I really would recommend, especially if, if, if your question is, how do I pay less in federal income taxes? Find somebody to talk to that, that does this, that knows this, that, you know, that attends continuing education every year that is on top of this stuff. They're going to be able to look at your situation and tell you, well, we can do this, this, and this in, in your scenario to make this better. Um, don't, don't go talk to your coworker who says they have a trick to, <laughs> to lower your taxes. Um, cause you know, ch chances are their situation is, is going to be a lot more different from yours than, than what you realize. Gotcha. Good. Good advice there. Um, we've all seen the numbers and the amount of new employees that the U S treasury department has hired on you know, it's out there in the news and with the IRS beefing up their employees, you know, could this lead to more audits and you know, what type of things are red flags that typically would make an audit? more likely from your experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this this has been a hot one this year. Uh, and, and will the IRS use their new funding to increase enforcement? Certainly, yes, absolutely. Um, does this mean that they're gonna come knocking on your door and put you in handcuffs? Certainly not. <laughs> uh, I, I think probably the biggest takeaway here is uh, be careful about what you listen to on Facebook, TikTok, cable news, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff, they're, they're driving for clicks or views, uh, and, and they're going to make this stuff sound pretty extreme. Um, everybody's heard the 87,000 number for new IRS agents that are, that are going to be going around just auditing everybody. And that's actually a misconception. Um, that name, that number came from a 2021 report by the U.S. Treasury that basically said if we were going to catch the IRS up on all of their backlogged processing and everything else that they've been asked to do the last couple of years, that's what they would need. And that and that report came out before the IRS got their new funding. And, the, and that's been kind of conflated together. And so that's the number that we're all throwing around. Uh, in all actuality, likely what will happen is the IRS would potentially grow by about 20 to 30,000 employees over the next decade. Um, 
and the, the number of revenue agents could increase by maybe about 17,000. This would actually still, still leave it smaller than it was 30 years ago. Um, so it's it's not quite as terrifying terrifying as it sounds um, as a tax preparer and as a taxpayer. We should be happy about a little piece of it because they're going to allocate about thirty five billion to uh, taxpayer services, operations support, and updating their extremely antiquated IT systems. Anyone that has tried to call the IRS in the last two years knows somebody's got to give them some money to get people on the phone. It's, it's been virtually impossible. And, and even, even from our end, of, from the practitioner side of it, um, there's a practitioner, practitioner priority service with the IRS. And I, I haven't even been able to use that for the last 10 or two years, excuse me, not 10. <laughs> uh, so it, it's been very rough trying to get through to the IRS. And a lot of this funding is going to go towards making that side of things better. Okay, nice. That's that's good to hear. Positive um, for something that I think a lot of people think might be a negative mm -hmm. there. Yep. So, um, well, to kind of you know wrap things up here, is there you know anything that's new this coming tax season or something that maybe we should be aware of that hasn't already been mentioned or um, you know that maybe you know our listeners would maybe want to hear? Yeah. So this year uh, be a little bit different than the last couple of years. A lot of the COVID era provisions are expiring. The child tax credit is going to go back to the pre-pandemic levels. It was up to uh, 3,600 or 3,000, depending on the age of the kid there for a while. And now we're going to go back to $2,000. Uh, no more stimulus payments, which means no more recovery rebate credit. Uh, the above the line deduction for charitable contributions for folks that don't itemize goes away. Uh, several changes in the Inflation Reduction Act, which was passed uh, later in the year, uh, and then very late in the year, we had the passage of the Secure Act 2.0, which made, made a lot of significant changes to retirement plans and accounts, uh, changes to RMDs, contribution limits, 529s. There's a new emergency savings account tied to a, to a Roth uh, retirement account. And that, that could be a, a whole separate podcast on its own talking about the, the Secure Act 2.0. So I, I won't get into a whole lot more, more with that. But uh, kind of like, like I mentioned earlier, really the best thing here, talk to a tax preparer about your specific situation. Everybody's going to be very different. Uh, it, it's kind of hard to talk in broad strokes when it comes to this stuff because, uh, you know, I, I have very often I have clients that work the exact same job at the exact same company and they both they're both married with two kids and still end up with different end of the year tax results um, so really best to just talk to somebody about your specific situation there great good and nice little lead in there because actually our the plans for our next podcast next month is going to be on the secure act 2.0 so oh, perfect we'll get, <laughs> hopefully touch on a lot of those items there in more detail so but um, jake thanks again for joining us we do appreciate your time and um, I think there's a lot of great takeaways here that our listeners can hopefully apply to, to their situation. So, and thanks to you for uh, listening in. Uh, be sure to follow us on all major social media outlets and visit our website at jacksonpeckfg.com. If you have any comments, feedback, or something to add, please definitely reach out. Also, we're always looking for ideas on future podcasts. If you have one, shoot us a quick email. We'd love to hear from you guys.
Christian Jackson is a registered representative of and offers securities through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. And Daryl Peck is an investment advisor representative of and offers security and investment advisory services through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. Member FINRA SIPC, Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. Jackson Peck Financial Group is located at 121 South Main Street, Kewanee, Illinois, 61443, phone number 309-761-8139.